chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. I'll be reading from the NRSV version. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phygra, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But the others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addresses them. Men of Judea, men and women probably, of Judea, and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents into the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun, the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. So if you didn't catch the memo, today is Pentecost. It's when we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. So if you're thinking about moving through the church calendar, we've already had Easter, right? So we've celebrated the death, the resurrection, and then last Sunday, if Mike got to it, he may not have, Ascension Sunday, when Jesus ascends back into heaven. But he promises his followers that he will leave them another advocate, another advocate to intercede for them. And he says, wait, wait on that to come. And so Acts begins. And so Acts is really a continuation of the story of Luke. We believe it's the same writer. So sometimes we call it Luke-Acts. And so Acts begins, and instead of waiting, they call another disciple in chapter 1, and they do some other things, but they're trying to wait in this room. And chapter 2 happens, where we get the Holy Spirit, what we call paraclete in Greek. 
It's a comforter, an advocate, a friend. We sometimes refer to Pentecost as the birthday of the church. It's how the church was able to form into being is through this presence of God. And so I told my folks this morning that I have a little bit of a soapbox about literature revolving around Pentecost because a lot of times somebody will say that Pentecost is actually the reversal of the story of the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament. And so just a a quick refresher there, there's there's this moment in time in the Old Testament where all the people unite to build a tower to heaven. And the reason why they want to do that is idolatry. They, They want to be like God. And so God sees this and is very upset by their idolatry and their sin and strikes them. And so they no longer understand one another because they all are speaking different languages. And so that happens. And so sometimes scholars will say, well, Pentecost is the reversal of that. And I would say, with a bit of nuance, Pentecost is actually the redemption of that. Because God redeems that situation, but God does not make everybody the same again. God seems to value the diversity that happens and a cacophony of languages. And so rather than just give us one common language back, God instead makes it possible for people to understand one another. And so there's a real gift in that. And the other kind of more minor point, but is still a point, is that sometimes there are consequences to sin that endure, that are not totally undoable. I don't mean beyond redemption, but I do mean like some of those effects linger long after redemption has been achieved. And so I think that's a little bit of this as well. Like there was a consequence for that sin that lingered. And here in this moment, God is redeeming it through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, we talked a lot about just how different all of those languages sounded. We, we read out the passage in Hebrew and Greek and Portuguese, and we just listened to that sound. But as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about um, an opportunity I had in graduate school where I went and lived in South Africa for a couple of months. And it's the country, not the southern part of Africa. And so when I was in South Africa, they have 11 official languages of the country, which is just bananas. And so everywhere I went, I heard language that was different. I heard a lot of Kosa, I heard a lot of Zulu, I heard a lot of Afrikaans. I picked up a couple different words and different situations to try to kind of get me through. And the only type of English really spoken would be kind of the Dutch English or the British English. And so after several months of this, it just, you know, kind of became background noise of all of these different languages. And so I was flying home, and I had a layover in the UAE, in Dubai. Don't know if you've ever been in the Dubai airport. It's bananas. There are Ferraris inside. Truly crazy levels of wealth. But anyways, I was in Dubai, and I was standing in line at the McDonald's. And I know it's cliche, but it was the only thing that was open. So I'm standing in line at the McDonald's, and all of a sudden, from behind me, there's this older couple, and I hear her voice. And she goes, honey, you think they've got Big Mac sauce here? Because I wanted to get some extra and see if it tasted the same. And I turned right around, and I said, hello, my name is Jennifer. (laughs) Because in that moment, I was like, oh, my gosh, she sounds like home. She sounds just like home, and I hadn't heard anybody with my kind of people's accent that whole couple of months there that I was in South Africa, 
And so we got a table together. They had kids my age. We chatted. We shared a meal. And we both kind of parted ways. But when I think about that, I think about actually Pentecost. Because I think that's what the people in the, in the crowd experienced. Oh my goodness. That person sounds like home. To be in a foreign place and suddenly hear a mother tongue, something familiar to you, is just a sense of belonging that it creates. And so the first thing I want us to think about when we think about Pentecost is that Pentecost is the power of God to sound like home. I think God sounds like home to each of us, that God speaks to us and the dialect that we most resonate with that we need to hear the most. And so that's the first gift of Pentecost. The second gift is this Joel passage that Peter quotes about the Holy Spirit and God's power being poured out on everyone upon all flesh, it says. Not even just human flesh, all flesh the Spirit is poured out on. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And it's saying no one is going to be left out of this vision of God. The young and the old both get to experience God, male and female, slave and free. Paul will go on to build on that in Galatians. God is saying all is worthy of my presence and my power. And this is something the church is still struggling with. In verse 12, we, we are asked this question, what does this mean? And here, Peter is answering, it means, it means as we say in the South, y'all means all, right? That, that the power of the Spirit has equalized everybody before God. And we're still struggling to learn that lesson. I've been reading a lot, you may not know this, but the Southern Baptists this summer Um, are voting on whether or not any woman can be called a pastor. And so they've already banned that language from senior pastor, but now they expect to vote on an amendment to ban it from children's pastor or youth pastor or education pastor. If it's a woman, she cannot hold the title. That's what they're going to vote on. In the year of our Lord, 2023, this is what they've decided to devote their one wild and precious life to, is this ideological battle over who can be called. And Rick Warren, many of y'all probably have read A Purpose Driven Life, right, or done one of the 40-day studies, bless him, has just found out about the Great Commission. Bless his heart, we would say in the South. And so he's putting forth the fact that, wait a second, uh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. It says it right here. And so, so Rick Warren is appealing his own churches being kicked out of the SBC, saying, like, guys, 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 and I do mean guys, guys, what's going on here? Like, we're not following scripture. It's still too radical of a vision. And that radicalness exists all the way to today. I loved studying about the Great Awakening in America. Jonathan Edwards was, was the big famous preacher there, and, and Whitfield and all of these others, and they would preach to these booming crowds, and they converted thousands of people. But my favorite thing about them is the letters they sent between them, because once revival started breaking out, they had a problem. 
And that problem was all of a sudden women started preaching in tents and native people started preaching and black women started preaching and they could not contain nor control the gifts of the spirit. They couldn't pull it back. They were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We, we, we wanted the spirit to come. We prayed for the spirit to come. We didn't pray for it to come this far or to these people. But that's the problem with the power of the spirit. You can't tell it where to go. Once you welcome it in, it is a force. It is a force of God. It is part of the Trinity. We'll talk about next Sunday as Trinity Sunday. And so it contains all of that power. And as we think about Pentecost, the imagery that we have for it are these colors of, of flame, right? So yellow and orange and red. We don't have to get in the fact that flames can burn blue and white and all the other stuff. But these are our colors for Pentecost. And there are some connections to other places where there are flames in Scripture. But the most compelling connection to me is that in first century Rome, on a coin you would have gotten with Caesar's image on it, above his head often would be three flames of fire, signifying the deity of Caesar. And everyone in Jerusalem would have been acutely aware of that imagery. And all of a sudden, here God is interrupting and saying, no, that is not divine. The empire is not divine. The spirit is. The, the gift of God across to everybody is divine. God is undoing these systems of power when giving out God's self. And as I was thinking about that, we have flames on one end, and the other image that we have for Pentecost are doves. And you might have noticed all around the room are these origami doves, you can see. And John Mark, who is my husband, made all of them, bless him. And doves are a symbol for many different reasons, but I want to share three for us tonight. So the first of which is, doves, as they exist, are actually the exact same as pigeons. They are the exact same bird. So pigeons are just like the cheaper version of doves, okay? So doves are bougie pigeons. Like, they're just the all-white ones. And so they have existed, of course, since the very beginning of time. And there's a lot of really fun facts about pigeons, which I will not bore you with all of them, but... One of them is that pigeons were the cheapest and most accessible animal for sacrifice. So in Judaism, if you needed to give a sacrifice to get right with God after a sin or after you had had a child or, or for some reason were ritually unclean, you could go to the temple and take pigeons. They were, they were so cheap. They, they were worth less than a penny in today's currency. And pigeons are a little bit dumb don't know if you know this, and so they're easy for even children to catch. And so even children would have been able to catch a pigeon and make an offering to God. And so I love that idea that God was even thinking of children even then being included in worship, being a part of the temple system. And so, so pigeons are cheap, and pigeons are, you know, easy to catch. And then the other thing about them is that they're everywhere. They're everywhere. If you've ever been to New York or some sort of major city, when America was first colonized, settlers would write about 
pigeons. And the flocks would be so numerous, they would block out the sun for hours at a time. There used to be so many on this continent. And so they were everywhere. And so when I think about the Holy Spirit of God, I kind of like to think about it in that pigeon-dove framework, that the Holy Spirit is easy to access, that it's annoyingly close sometimes, that you can't get it to go away or find someone else to follow. And I like this idea that the Holy Spirit is cheap for us. All we have to do for the Holy Spirit to show up is to create an environment in which it's welcome. You heard our worship songs sing about that. And so this morning I talked with our kiddos, you know, how do we make birds welcome? We put out bird baths and we feed them seed that we hope the squirrels don't steal. And we build them little houses. And I wonder what would it look like if the church took seriously the practice of welcoming the Spirit? Would that look like lighting a candle and holding silence for part of your day? Maybe just a minute of your day? Would it, would it look like driving intentionally with the radio off to try to listen for the Spirit? Would it look like more silence sometimes in our worship service, the kind that makes people uncomfortable and creak and move around? But that's how the Quakers meet. They meet in silence. There's something to that there. And so my question for us is, is how can we begin to create room for the Spirit? Because when we talk about Pentecost, I think we do a disservice when we talk about it as a one-time birthday of the church. Because the reality is the Spirit continues to inbreak into our world. Just a few months ago, a small college in Kentucky called Asbury experienced a revival. It was a worship service, and it just kept pouring out into more and to more worship. And thousands of people flooded this small Kentucky town just trying to get a part of it, to be an experience of it. People were hungering for it. And there were all these op-eds and these write-ups about, you know, well, these are just emotional college kids, or this is manipulation, or this, that, and the other. And I realized how uncomfortable people are with the idea that there could be something so powerful as to change the way people were living and loving and it changed that town. And Asbury, to their credit, they, they, they drew in and they protected their students. All these celebrity pastors and preachers showed up to preach. And Asbury said, no, thank you. This is not for you. This is for these students. And so I still don't know what to make of that, that they had continual worship for weeks and weeks. I don't know what will arise out of that, what fruit it will bring. But I do know is that the Spirit is still moving. The Spirit is something that we have access to. It's the easiest way we can interact with God in the here and the now. But that only happens when we can create space for it. Because this is the other thing about the Spirit. The Spirit only shows up where it is welcome. It doesn't force its way in. It is not going to demand our attention. Instead, it's going to patiently wait for us to create room. And so as we move throughout this week, I hope, Ecclesia, y'all can think about how are you actively creating room for the Holy Spirit in your heart? I'll invite our communion servers forward at this time. We're going to transition into a time of communion. 
and we practice what's called a, an open table. And so if you are here with us, you are welcome to participate in communion this evening. And so we remember that on the night that Christ was betrayed, he gathered with his disciples in the upper room. And he took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. And then he took the wine, and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, poured out for the forgiveness of sins for many. Drink this in remembrance of me. Come, let us remember now together. <laughs> 